we have an opportunity here to bring presence to the ceremony that is your life. And my invitation to you is to stop whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just for this one precious moment and take a deep breath. Follow the breath into your root point and land yourself right here, right now, into your present moment. And exhale. Welcome to the space where all the magic is happening and prepare yourself to receive the wild, raw expanse that is available inside the dojo that is your life. You are the empowered center point creator of every single experience that you are drawing into your field at this time. When you recognize that and really get that in your bones, you will receive yourself as the magnet for the most perfectly expansive evolutionary curriculum that is precisely crafted for you to evolve beyond what was in order to claim all that is a match to the you who is free. And that is what we are here to do inside the dojo as we explore what it means to live a life beyond the edge. This is a Soulfire production. Hello, dojo family. I am coming to you today with a dear sister, ally, leader, teacher, friend, Lauren Taus. And I feel so honored to bring the voice of this woman that I respect so much in the psychedelic space, in the therapeutic space, in the embodied facilitator, leader space, right? Also, you know, an incredible yoga instructor. And I've really witnessed the full spectrum of you come online and make some real ripples out in the world over these past several years. It just keeps getting more and more and more alive, your voice out in the world. And I just feel like that's such good news for the planet. And what an honor it is to bring that voice here to the dojo family today. And, you know, we love to create for all those listening, a highly intentional ceremonial field where we can all tune into the dojo that is our life. And so who better to collaborate with on that intention than Lauren Taos, who has made so much of her life about the ceremony of the psychedelic space. And I just respect you so much in that way. And I would love to hear, Lauren, your before we even get into it, your deepest why for saying yes to bringing your voice to the dojo family today. First of all, thank you so much for that incredible introduction. I'm feeling you, sister, and I have felt you since the moment I met you. And you are, are such a force of, of light and beauty and love and magic in the world. And it's an honor to be here with you and your community and to share uh, what I know and what I'm learning and what I love. And, and fundamentally, what I care about is life. Mm. Say more on that. Oh, what a wild, strange, stunning, exquisite, excruciating experience it is. And I want to have it all. And I want everyone else to wake up to the wonder that's right here, right now. Mm. And so much of my passion and purpose is informed by my own journey of transmutation, 
my own process of waking up. And, you know, I spent a lot of years pretty dead and, and there, there was a dying and, and then there was a coma with intermittent, intermittent spells of, of aliveness. And with a great deal of commitment, I was able to wake up and that journey of, of return, really return of, of, of a homecoming to my own innate goodness, to my own heart which is the journey I want everyone to take. Wow. wow. was supported by so many beautiful humans, by so many beautiful plants, by so many beautiful compounds, by mother nature herself, by myself, by God, by my mother who's deceased, by my father, by my brother, by my friends, mm. by the communities that have, been in my life and by the teachers and the teachings and the books, like, thank you. And gratitude is really the bedrock of my being. And I say thank you to, to the intimate library of lessons that lives inside of me and that I continue to expand upon. And, and I really, you know, I, I work with several books in the morning. One of them is, is Mark Nepo's The Book of Awakening, which has been with me since 2017. And it's a daily reader. And, and today's was uh, it really, it really had me in that beautiful commingling of grief and laughter. And it said, the, 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 I think, I think the, the language was, the, the sun keeps shining even even when people are blind. Yeah. And I just want people to open their eyes. Wow. I got chills so many times during that transmission. I'm gonna need to listen to the opening <laughs> of this episode as a part of my gratitude practice. Mm-hmm to really feel the aliveness that you just activated every day. I recommend like for a week, just listening to that three minutes. Oh, oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. One thing that's really impacted me as I've witnessed your journey is even through social media, I see you share your gratitude journal that you really, and I like to like hold my finger on the story (laughs) and read what you really are grateful for. And I feel like I've gotten to know you better through witnessing your devotion to that practice and the simplicity of gratitude and and your commitment to that practice. I feel like it gets cliched gratitude. You know, we always talk about, you know, presence, what you're grateful for and think about what you're grateful for. And I'm curious how that gratitude practice and your commitment to it has impacted your life. And there's, I'm like, my mind is split into so many ways, like pathways based on what you just shared. So let's just peek our heads into that. And there's also like you shared, I want to pin, you shared that, you know, what it is that you do is a function of your own awakening process. It's a function of what you, the numbness that you have melted in your life through the work that you've done. So I really want, would love to open up that door and allow the dojo family to just get to know you and your Mm -hmm. heart and where you've come from before Mm -hmm. we get to know, you know, the professional and the psychedelic assisted therapist Mm -hmm. and the leader of psychedelic assisted therapist, the trainer that you are, I see you really creating major ripples and training mutual friends of ours to carry and serve the medicine in a legalized form, you know, in a legalized frame. And I'm, there's so many conversations that I want to dig into with you around all of that, but first let's start with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, 
how, how did that move from cliche? Like I'll think, I'll think about what I'm grateful for to a deeply embodied practice. And what has that led to in your life? Yeah, it was actually had a, my therapy therapy session right before we jumped, jumped on. Mm -hmm. And I, my therapist has been with me for a very long time. And, and she, she knew me when, when my mother was alive, my mom passed away eight years ago. And I recently had a, a deep, deep healing with my mom in an ayahuasca ceremony, which was an answered prayer that I was holding for, for many years now. And and we were also doing some, some mama work in, in my, in my session. And, you know, I've never met a client myself included that didn't have mommy daddy issues. Uh, I think as a little girl, I had a lot of existential distress. Perfectionism landed really early. I was not a happy kid. I like to say it's never too late for a happy childhood. My, my inner child is alive and well and, and plays daily uh, and is learning new ways to do so. And, and I, and I celebrate and encourage her in that way. But I, you know, I was a, a good kid. And one of my favorite poems is Mary, uh, Mary Oliver's Wild Geese. And the first line is, you do not have to be good. And, and the, the way that we I kind of construct goodness is also often constricting and oppressive. And I, I, I was really good. I, I was doing all the things that I was told both, you know, socially and culturally and within a family system tacitly, like I should do. I was, I was a straight A student. I was, you know, editor of the newspaper. I was community service queen. I, I was, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. I was really unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I was at war with myself. And, and the war that, that I waged inside was my grief, was my rage. And, and it was all directed inward. Mm -hmm. And on some level that manifested as anorexia, which is a very, very painful and, and challenging pathological process. People with anorexia often don't get better. Uh, I, I was, I'm, I'm tiny and I was half my size at my bottom. Uh, I, I didn't have my period. I, I, I was full of suffering and struggle and also accolades mm -hmm. and straight A's and whatever markers of success, mm -hmm. unhappy. And my unhappiness drove me, as I mentioned, deep into an eating disorder that is at a certain point just commanded attention. I'm like, I, I can't neglect the, that I'm, I'm sick. And so I, I, I went to uh, a 12-step fellowship for eating disordered people and made relationship with a sponsor. My first sponsor was uh, un very unlike me from a visual perspective and a historical perspective. She was a, a black woman from the South, 50 years my senior, different religion, like also struggled with a crack cocaine addiction, spent time in jail. And, mm -hmm. and this woman reflected back to me that she'd never seen the, 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 the gravity of self-hatred that she witnessed in me. Mm. And, and that rattled me. And she was my first teacher in learning how to love myself. And one of the early practices in, in my recovery journey was gratitude. And, and I've been working with thank you as my biggest and first prayer for over 20 years now. And at the time, I, I, I was grateful for anything. Mm -hmm. And I, I could sit there and, and I, you know, it was hard to come up with much for the good. Mm. And as I practiced and, and my, my daily gratitude practice is, is very devoted and it has supported me in, in shifting what I see and how I see. And I'm not just grateful for things that are fun and pleasurable. I'm grateful for the, for the savage teachers. I'm grateful for pain. 
I'm grateful for sensation that cues direction. I'm grateful for the triggers. Mm. They're indicating like direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I do share my my gratitude journal often on social media and I have mixed feelings about that because it's so intimate. Mm -hmm. And and there's times where I'm like, do I need to share this with 40,000 plus people? And I also get a lot of feedback that it's inspiring that other people do it because they've seen it done. And, and the content that I share is the range. It's, it's not just happy stuff, right. And, and happiness in my mind is entirely contingent on a person's capacity to play the rest of the emotional keyboard. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to access joy unless you are in relationship with fear, sadness, and anger. And we literally learn, don't be mad, don't be sad, don't be scared. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. We learn to divorce from our bodies and our somatic wisdom, our own intuition, which is divine direction. Mm -hmm. And and the homecoming that I have been on and that I like to teach to is is A, personal and and B, collective and systemic. But it's it's a return. It's not progress. It's a return to our own innate goodness to our own hearts. You know, we're we're in a culture obsessed with progress and hyper productivity and biohacking and like hacking and and you can't rush certain things and nor should you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how do we slow down and enjoy the ride? You know, I I, I mentioned already my my commitment to life and and the leading cause of death is life, and and we have an allergy to conversation around death. Mm. We like to kind of put it on a shelf. We like mm. to put elders on a shelf too, by the way. Yeah. And good living requires a lot of dying. Yeah, and I, I've died a lot of versions of Lauren. I love them all. I love them all at this point. And, and I'm grateful for them all. Yeah. Let's slow down right there. Great. Holy shit. Damn girl. I mean, okay, guys, just for some context, Lauren and I have been riding for many years. I think I met you at Habitas probably six or seven years ago. And just to feel you, I've been in Colorado the last year and a half, just back in LA. We haven't seen each other in the physical since I've been back in LA. And I, I share this analogy a lot that, you know, if you watch a child, you live with a child that's turning from one years old to two years old. And you're with that child every day. It's hard to tell the growth because you see that, that child every day. But if you don't see the child for a year and then they turn from one to two, the next time you see them, you're going to be like, Whoa, uh-huh. you're so big. How did this, you know? And I kind of having that sensation with you where I feel like, wow, like I haven't just dropped in and jammed with you in at least a year where we've just really gone for it. So this is y'all are here in the first time where we're just going for it. And I'm like, wow, Lauren, just your embodiment, what you're channeling, your clarity, what the, the integrity that I, that I can feel I've always felt and can feel that the further education and the deeper confidence and the open channel is coming from is so deeply felt. Thank you. Thank you. So you said something in that last transmission that I'm also going to have to listen to again (laughs) is, you know, that first of all, you've fallen in love with every version of the you that had to die. And I, and I really find that in the transformational process, often there's so much resistance to where we are. And yes, the identity structure 
that is in protection is also the identity structure that is in a moment. And I really find that the more we're in resistance to where we are, we don't have the availability for the healing to even begin. Mm -hmm. And so I really find that the healing begins where the resistance ends. And in order for the resistance to end, there needs to be an acceptance and an embrace of what is, you know, and in your case, the Lauren that is going through a death process, you know, the Zahara that is going through a transformation that is going through a shedding to love that one. And the one before, and the one before the you that is living at the leading edge of your life is built on the shoulder of the giants that have been you in the past, the you that was afraid, the you that had gone through the trauma, the you that built layers of protection that were necessary until they weren't, until they weren't. So I'm curious if you can go a little bit deeper into your process of loving all those past Lauren's because that's like the Russian dolls of integration. You know what I mean? Like integrating them rather than getting rid of them. Because if we're getting rid of the you that, that struggled with anorexia, you know, the you that lost her mother, the you, like there's no getting rid of them. The you today doesn't exist without them. The you today that serves in the way you do with the amount of integrity and compassion and care and space that can actually empathize and relate with your clients doesn't exist without them. Those ones are here present listening right now. And so for anyone listening to the podcast in this moment that is going through a shedding, that is going through a major transformation of an identity structure or a, you know, yeah, an identity. I don't know if you have a better way to say it, but a version of themselves that may be in pain or heartbreak or trauma or protection that is in a transformation right now. And kind of, you know, those moments, guys, maybe you can relate where you're just like, God, when is this going to be over? Or like, when can't I often, when we become aware that we are in protection or we are in a pattern, we start to judge the one that's in the pattern. Like, God, I'm doing that again. I'm doing that again. Oh, I'm doing the thing again. I'm eating at 9 PM. Again, I'm on social media at 11. Again, I'm, I'm doing this numbing thing again. What God. And then we're judging the one that actually needs to be loved into integration. And so I'm curious what you have to say more about your own process of loving those parts of you all along the journey. I love all those Lauren's, you know what I mean? You said that in such an embodied way. I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's, that's the aim is like, we are always growing. We're always evolving. There's always going to be a next. If we're in a body channeling the infinite through the finite, the next leading edge is there, which means the you that you are today, if you're not going to stagnate, you're going to have to go through a release, a death process, a composting, a resurrection and a rebirth. You know what I mean? Like that is the nature of life. So, can you speak to that process of like dropping resistance, dropping judgment of the you that's in that process while the process is alive? Well, we heal by feeling and learning again how to feel is a process and a practice. And again, I mentioned 
happiness is only truly available when we have access to fear, anger, and sadness. Mm-hmm. And, and we're so resistant to those emotions and we want to call them bad. I love my grief. Wow. And, and I had to learn how to unlock it. Yeah. And how to attend to it. I mean, it's orgasmic when it's in full force. You just let it, girl. I feel you. So what does that look like for someone? Like an embodied practice somebody could do if they're like, oh, fuck, okay. I'm going to try to really let it let it ride and feel it fully. This pain, riding the line of orgasmic pleasure when I don't resist it. How, mm-hmm. how What's like, what's a practice or a how that you could offer for someone going through, but still in resistance to grief? For me, it's in my daily practice. And I would say I probably cry a couple of times a week. And when I, when I don't, something's up. I had, I had the the stunning commingling of, of laughter and tears this morning. I like to listen to music when I meditate. Yeah. It, it's music that's evocative. Yeah. I love Pete Kuzma. I, I love Garth Stevenson. I, I love East Forest. Uh, music that invites emotion, that pierces my heart open. Yeah. And, and I, often have to sit past the traffic of my mind in order to get into my body. But if I sit long enough, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've learned to kind of clear out a lot of the congestion and the saturation so that I have a lot easier access. Yeah. And I highly, highly recommend regular daily movement of any kind. It mm-hmm. could be just a simple walk, Dance is a big, big medicine. And, and so often dance is sort of, and singing too. These are, they're such vulnerable practices. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we get into judging our, our movements or our sounds, but when we can maybe just notice the judgment and say, hi, okay, bye. And, and keep going. There's so much release that way. You know, life, life is an action sport, not a cognitive exercise. And you can't think your way into your grief. You don't think feelings at all. You don't. It's in and through the body. It's sensation. And so there's a way of kind of starting to notice and attend to the the physical where there's constant communication. The mind and the body are are intimately, intricately forever in a dance. Mm, mm, Well said. And the mind, like even traditional psychotherapy tends to be overly cerebral and hypercognitive. And, you know, I've certainly learned to, for the most part, make my mind an ally, which it certainly was not. But I've also learned and I'm continuing to deepen my my learning of being in a body wrapped in skin on planet Earth as an Earth body that is comprised of mountains and deserts and oceans and and fauna and flora, like to see myself in nature and also to allow nature to see me mm. to get that space of receiving, right? Cause we're so penetrating in this culture. What's it like to sit back and allow and receive that that's been a, a game changer for me too, but certainly we are what we practice and we are all in devotion to something. Mm. So for me, I have been in, you know, and it's hard to get there right? Like we, we don't want to sit with ourselves. We don't, I mean, sometimes I don't, but it's become such a, like a, a want and a need and something that I'm, I'm just committed to. I sit myself down. I turn on some good tunes. I close my eyes. 
I sometimes wave my arms around. I sing songs. I pray. Some of my favorite prayers are thank you, help, and oh my God, just oh my God. (laughs) And I also love my Hebrew prayers. And I, when I, when I pray in Hebrew, I, I feel like I'm dialed in to centuries of my people praying in a certain way. Yeah. Would you, is there a a short one that you could share right now? Sure. The, the, the prayer that is meant to be said first thing in the morning, which I love so much is Modani. And it's, it's Modani Lefanecha, Melachai Bechayam Shechei Hezarta, Benishmati Bechem Laraba, Emunatecha. I often repeat Emunah, which means faith. Mm-hmm. Like I choose hope and optimism wow. in a world that, that looks pretty scary. Wow. I always choose hope and optimism. Wow. Like Victor Frankl style. Mm-hmm. Wow. You are. And it's a prayer that the, the Jews have been saying in the morning when they open their eyes. It means thank you. I stand before my highest self. May I have the courage and the faith to act accordingly. Like may I, I move from that place. And we all have self-energy. We all have the answers to the questions that we're, we're asking. And we all have the capacity to be in the unknown, which is the only place that exists. And, and we all have big, beautiful, regal hearts and gifts. And I want it. I want them to be shared. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. You know, Lauren, you are, I'm wondering two things. One, if you have a Spotify playlist that we could share in the show notes that anyone listening could actually utilize for their own practice, maybe with 10 songs or one that you might be willing to share. I know they're their own sacred thing sometimes, but if there's one, okay. So yes to that. So if you're listening and you want to create your own morning practice and embodiment practice, where you are getting beyond the traffic of the mind as Lauren shared and getting into the body, giving yourself time and space to just feel and to move as whatever it is you're feeling, move as love, move as grief, move as anger. How would anger move? Even if you can't access it yet, ask yourself the question, if I were moving as anger, what would that feel like? What would that look like? And let your body lead the way to the gateway of the feelings you've most resisted. There's many ways to work this. So you can utilize a playlist that we'll have in the show notes. And as you shared this Hebrew prayer, I received chills all over my body in an ayahuasca ceremony um, quite a long time ago. I I got to see, you know, in the um, Jewish tradition, our family um, were Kohanim, which are the high priests. And there's very much um, a patriarchal, you know, through the bloodline. It's, it, I believe you can test it actually through the bloodline. And in the Jewish tradition, it's it's really, it's only the men on the tallest, which is the shawl that they wear around that are honored and, and as Kohanim and can speak as Kohanim. And I, I saw in ayahuasca ceremony, whatever this means, I'm still unpacking. But for me as a woman, as a Jewish woman, to receive my, my bloodline, that that's my blood too, that that blood through my father, my father's father, my father's father's father that runs through the masculine line runs through me too. And that I get to receive that and I get to own that. And that there was so much, you know, contradictory contrasting energy for me with the Jewish line because of the trauma that my ancestors went through in the Holocaust. You know, my grandparents' parents escaped the Holocaust. And my grandmother's mother was the only one in the family that made it. I'm here because she made it out. Her siblings were all killed. She came into the United States in the trunk of a car. 
you know? So it made sense to me. It makes sense to me now at this point that her daughter, my grandmother would have so much fear around enforcing that I marry someone Jewish. And there was fear of, you know, uh, us not staying strictly inside the Jewish tradition. I get the trauma in that. And it also, for me as her son's daughter, right? So two generations away, growing up in an environment that wasn't the Holocaust, right? That I wanted the freedom to explore and to date and to do and to be whoever it is that I am and to explore other cultures and religions and ways of being. And that really scared my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And so there was this pressure to like be Jewish and be only with Jewish people, you know, like from the fear that I understand and deeply forgive, but it, it kind of pushed me away from giving a lot of attention to my own religion and to my own culture that I'm now circling back to. And when I say now, I mean, over the last several years, it's been like a slow burn for me. And there's something around the women I'm attracting inside the dojo ecosystem. Many of them are beautiful Jewish medicine women that are Jewish medicine sisters that are engaged in their roots and that are saying Hebrew prayers that are singing Hebrew prayers inside medicine journeys, you know, and I'm sitting at their backs and holding space for them to do their work and their healing around their line, you know, through this tradition that I'm a part of too. We all come from roots. Yeah. And I've been taught that if we pursue the roots, then the fruits, they come. If you chase fruits, it's a it's not, it's not going to really work for very much longer than the, than the state of the fruit, right? If you, if you're connected to your roots, the fruits consistently come. And my, my rabbi who I learned Torah with weekly is a deeply, deeply, uh, you know, practicing Jewish man. And his teachings are so profoundly psychedelic and Judaism is, is very, very psychedelic. Mm -hmm. And, And my rabbi has taught me too, that the word Jewish means thank you. Wow. Means thank you. And there are countless prayers, including for like taking a, a poop. Like we thank our bodies for functioning. Mm-hmm. Asher Yatsar, it's a long prayer. There, there's all of these prayers, <laughs> sunsets and apples and like the moon and the sun and, and humans and learning. There's, there's prayers for everything. And all of the prayers are essentially saying, thank you. And it's about consciousness. And I've said to my rabbi too, the vast majority of Jewish teaching is repulsive and when it's actually dialed into the parake to the why it is so magnificent yeah wow i feel that <laughs> i go so jewish especially with ayahuasca i'm like i'm um, like walking through the mystical gardens with akiva it's a whole bunch. but um huge and and for anyone listening whether you're jewish lineage or not you know reading how engaged with your own roots are you and how is that connected to the fruits of what's rising in your life? I really love that. So just connecting what we're saying here and speaking to around, you know, the Jewish heritage, and we all have our own wounding patterns around where our roots come from, you know, and to get in there and see where the rot is at and transform that fear and that pain and that trauma into love through compassion, through understanding, through willingness to feel what's there. For your ancestors, through the ones who came before you, and you as the guardian at the gate, you are at the leading edge of your line. 
I am at the leading edge of my line. I, God willing, and I pray my children and my children's children will not go through what I went through because I'm the guardian at the gate. And my parents did even better than my grandparents. My grandparents did even better than their parents and so on and so on and so on. And they all did really, really great with what they had. That is the truth. They were doing the best with what they had the whole way through. And so here we are at the leading edge of it, doing the very best with what we've got. And that's always all we have. And so even this moment, y'all are witnessing a ceremony for me, Lauren, I'm wondering if you can send me that morning prayer. Cause I, I, sp- I grew up in Jewish day school until sixth grade. So I actually can read and speak Hebrew, but I don't remember what all the words mean anymore. So I'd love this episode is going to be released. I believe the first week of January of 2023. So this is going to be the first episode released in the new year. So let's together attune to our intentions and the way we want to reconnect and come from our roots so that our fruits can be a plentiful this year. And so one thing that I'd love to commit to in, in my morning practice is bringing in a Hebrew prayer in the morning and let that contribute, you know, to this re-engagement with my own roots and to feel the vibration of that for myself. So would you be willing to send that, that prayer over? hundred percent Zahara. And, and, you know, you said Jewish, not Jewish, like my Jewish understanding is of one God, and I don't care what you call him or her, it, they, them. For me, I have such spiritual resonance with Jewish teachings that are my roots. And and I love the invitation for people to be in the pursuit of their own. You know, we live in a culture of, of whiteness, which is responsible for the erasure of indigeneity. We all come from roots and practices and ritual. And, and I believe that we need that. You know, if I didn't have this job, I, I, I think I would just talk about God and spirituality. And, and in many ways, I still do That's that. That's what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Drugs are part of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm here having a spiritual experience and, you know, any, anything that's bigger than self is spiritual. And, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's, you know, a rise and it ends with self-realization. I like to add on top of that self-transcendence. You need a self to transcend self. But once you have a self, the next evolution is to be in connection with something much, much greater than self. And, and, and moving from the lowercase self to the uppercase self, that is the interbeing, that is the reality of, of we inter are. Sure. And when I, in, in the arrival of more self-love, the only thing that really makes sense is more love. Yeah. Wow, guys, just let let that land. Let that settle. Let that land. So, wow. So much juice, chill-inducing juice in this episode so far. And, you know, using this last bit of time that we have, I really want to turn the corner into the psychedelic space and, you know, your journey into your relationship with ketamine as a psychedelic assisted therapist. My only experience with ketamine has been with you. I had my own levels of resistance to anything as, as someone who's very plant-based in my work with, with medicines. Um, I had resistance to working with a synthetic. And so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts around that. So that's one seed to plant for you to speak on. And it was very powerful. It was right before I was about to release um, my house in the Palisades at the time, my relationship with my 
past partner. It was, it was minutes before one of the biggest transitions of my life. And something about that experience was really supportive for me around letting go. And part of why I called it in is my body was oracularly premeditating. I don't think, I didn't know that my ex and I were going to break up. I didn't know that I was going to leave LA semi-permanently for the next couple of years. I didn't know that I'd end up by myself in a house in coaster. I didn't know any of that. I just could started feeling depressed deeply when I was waking up every morning about two months before all of that unraveled and fell apart. And I remember seeing a lot of the research around ketamine being supportive for depression. And it was like this really confusing experience for me because I had everything that I thought I wanted. I had created this beautiful life. And so I was like, what is going on? Waking up feeling so heavy, so resistant. And that was resisting the release that was about to happen across the board. And my experience with you as a MAPS trained therapist in a contained environment, highly intentional with a, you know, ketamine assisted therapy session, which was very deep. And I was in the deepest state of release. And it gave me a reference point for what true surrender and release feels like, which I was going to need to engage that muscle and make it very much stronger over the next several months in ways that I could not predict yet, but my body sure could. So now the relationship, um, anything you have to speak on in connection between synthetics and plant-based medicine, and then also, you know, ketamine from my understanding, and I'd love for you to just speak on the science of ketamine a little bit for everybody to understand. My understanding is it's a dissociative. And so I, I would love to bridge understanding around ketamine being a dissociative. And yet what we were saying about how important it is to be in the body and feel. So how does ketamine actually support the process of being willing to be in the body, feel and process through emotion while it's also a dissociative, if that makes sense. So wherever you feel to go with all of that, um, let me know. And if, if you could speak to kind of who you are in that space as well. So everybody listening can feel who this is coming from. That would be great. Not that they haven't already gotten it from everything. <laughs> Not that you need any accolades other than your voice. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for trusting me with that experience as somebody who's deeply, deeply committed and engaged in the plant medicine world. Mm-hmm. I myself had a lot of judgment around ketamine when I first kind of thought about it and learned about it as a tool to partner with in the realms of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I just want to name as well that that I'm a a girl from the just say no era, from the the drugs are bar- bad era, from the drugs are for derelicts era. And so I was late to the game. I, w- I was busy being good and drugs were certainly not on the good girl list. Uh-huh. And so when I did finally make my way into an experience, which was actually with my brother, and I'm very, fa- very passionate about family work, you know, family is the birthplace of life. And, and so in my work, I focus a lot on families. Um, my brother brought me to my first journey. It was literally biblical. And I then went flying through the doors and I was at the time a licensed clinician and, and a yoga teacher, as, as you mentioned earlier, and again, connecting both with the mind and the body. And when I entered these realms, I understood that there was a deeper way to integrate with mind and body. Mm-hmm. And I was endlessly curious and excited. And my engagement with psychoactive substances has been all intentional. 
that does not mean it's all been ceremonial. I believe in intentional recreation. I believe in engaging with psychoactives for celebration when it's done in a good and thoughtful way. Yeah. But I am, as you mentioned, MAPS trained uh, for the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy protocol for complex PTSD. I've done multiple ketamine trainings. I've spent a great deal of time learning in shamanic spaces and circles with plant-based medicines. And you know, one thing that I'm very present to is that we're living in a very, very, very sick system. And so the people are appropriately unwell. And in many ways, the, the symptoms that people are presenting with are, are signs of their health. Their bodies and their minds are screaming out for help because what's happening out there is not working. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest challenges and problems that we're interfacing with is hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And I am efforting to be out of hierarchy, including in the realms of drugs. Mm-hmm. When we position certain drugs as good and other drugs as bad, we are participating in a great deal of judgment that ends up harming people. One of my mentors and friends is a tenured professor at Columbia University. I recently lectured in his classroom, Carl Hart. And Carl is an advocate for really some of the most vilified drugs. Mm -hmm. And based on data that he's researched in the lab for 30 years at places like Columbia and Yale. And I want to check any bit of judgment that I have about anybody's drug use Mm. and any drug that they're using. Mm. So I want to start with that because we need to acknowledge when we're talking about drugs, the war on drugs, the impact on communities of color. We need to talk about like how we're thinking about drugs, how we're conditioned to think about drugs. Thank God for synthetics. I I, I love 5-MeO-DMT. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for synthetics. The bufo, like Alvarius toad, is being hunted and tortured. I don't want to participate in that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just not interested. Mm-hmm. And my my greatest teacher, my greatest personal teacher in these realms is absolutely ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for the dance of ayahuasca and chacruna. Thank mm-hmm. you people who have carried this medicine and the tribes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is pure Shakti life force energy that has taught me how to see the good in everything, including the most grotesque pain and how to see the sacred and how to stay hopeful. Right. That being said, I also love, you know, MDMA. MDMA is an amphetamine. Ketamine is a chemical cousin to PCP, mm. okay? And, and these drugs are incredible. Like the, the results that have been, you know, researched and studied through the FDA trials with MDMA are astonishing. Mm. People with complex PTSD with diagnoses for 17 years who've been incapacitated are better and, and, and are able to stay well mm-hmm. years after the treatment. Okay, I'm not going to fight with data. I'm not going to fight with results. And I, and I I really feel very passionately about getting off the high horse, judging anything and anyone in the realm of anything, but certainly with drugs. Wow, I feel it all dissolving as the words come out of your mouth. Damn, yeah, I feel you. And I've been in many plant circles where people are like, I wouldn't touch a synthetic. I'm like, okay, like keep judging. Mm-hmm. Are you supposed to be more magnanimous? Aren't you supposed to be kinder? Like, why are you so judgy? 
I hear like, that. Like you're not, you're not getting the memo. Like I, the, totally I, I was once with, in an ayahuasca ceremony where I was like, oh my God, ayahuasca, you're everything. And she's like, I sit in circle with the others. Yeah. You can choose me. You can prefer me, but don't make me better than. Oof. Wow. And yeah, just as you're, as you're sharing, I just want to note, you know, you'll hear if, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you've heard my story around, you know, I had an era where I was in treatment inpatient treatment for synthetics for, you know, Adderall, Ambien, anti-anxiety medicine. And, you know, I spent two years after I got out of treatment with, you know, no medicine, no substance at all. And that was really important for me to establish a baseline of I've got me with or without, with nothing, you know, and it was a big threshold to cross when ayahuasca first came into my life to say yes to that, to say yes to ingesting an exogenous substance. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. And, you know, after that, there was something about the consciousness and the intelligence of the plants that I wove with in a really good way and have continued to weave with for many years. And it's absolutely changed my life. I'm so glad that I said yes to that. And there hasn't, hasn't been an ounce of the sensation of recurring dependency or addiction. I really feel good about being in right relationship with these medicines. And I do think that's something really important to name is radical self-honesty that whether it's plant-based medicines or synthetic medicines, I, while there's miraculous results that I see again and again within myself and others and clients of mine and, and the clients of yours that you're describing. I also witness a crutching, you know, a, a, um, there's a, um, a peak experience kind of thing where I see people come back and are just mm -hmm. going for the peak experience without the integration. So I think it's just important to name that really being sober and honest with yourself about being in right relationship with these medicines is its own conversation. And as you're sharing, I'm like, wow, where did I take on judgment relative to my own history with synthetics where I was dependent, where I was not in right relation, right? And then now later in my journey with plant medicine, there did come a time where it was appropriate and correct for me to sit with you in an intentional space during a turning point, pivotal moment of my life where my experience with you with ketamine was highly supportive mm -hmm. of the turning point that I was in, in that moment. And there was a precision to the mm -hmm. timing. There was a precision to the yes in that, you know what I mean? There was a precision to that. And so I just want to, I feel like I want to name that it's like dissolving the judgment and also attuning to your why and your intention and why you're ingesting any of these substances and holding them all as sacred. And, you know, I come from a mother who had very, very significant complex PTSD. And as my sister was dying, my mother developed an opiate addiction. And I imagine that when my mother met an opiate for the first time, she could relax. And that was probably really nice for her. And we talked earlier about emotion and how strangulated we are. So when people are involved in some sort of quote unquote problematic process with a substance or anything else, they're efforting to be okay, to be here. And there's something skillful about it that yeah. deserves a hell of a lot more respect than we give it. Dang, yes. And, and I feel, you know, as a psychotherapist, of course, deeply aware of how wildly overprescribed we are. And simultaneously, psychotropic medications absolutely can play on the same stage and field with psychedelic medicines. Mm -hmm. 
And you mentioned addiction, Gabor Mate, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain, right? People are medicating pain. And, and when people don't have the internal resourcing to tolerate their experience, they have to go and bless the departure. Like, stop judging. That's my love. Damn. Stop <laughs> judging. Chills. I know as well that, you know, we carry trauma. So there, there's like maybe some trauma around your, your dependency on these things that then maybe informs some of how you were thinking about other things, right? Mm-hmm. And that you're clearing and maybe somewhat right now. Literally as we speak. Yeah. Um, thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, with addictive processes and we are a culture of addiction, we are, we have massive like impulse control issues. We want instant gratification. We're narcissistic. We're schizophrenic, like culturally. And we are, <laughs> we need a lot of help. Like schedule one drugs, which of course are, are deemed dangerous with no medical purpose and highly addictive schedule one drugs by and large are the most effective interventions for the pathological process that we call addiction. Mm. And that's being researched in massive institutes with big funding around the planet. And I'm grateful for that. And and I'm grateful for that because I come from a mother who struggled with an addiction and I have front row intimate seat that, and it was heartbreaking. And I have simultaneously watched my father in his latter seventies flower and develop a spiritual life and become kinder and sweeter and more fun. Yeah. Because of drugs. Fuck yeah. And t- your father, you and your father were collaborating in this, in this space. We work together. My dad's, I work with a number of physicians, but my dad's my main squeeze MD. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that I have a training program, that I am an educator. I, I partner with, with lots of different experts and researchers and clinicians in, in the provision of training experiences for other providers. And, and I always have my dad with me. Ugh. Again, I know that everybody's walking around with their parents and informed by, and some, you know, some more uh, conscious than others, but having my dad in the room brings everybody else's mom and dad in the room in a clearer way. And they're already there. So like, like bring it on. And the level of transmutation and healing that I've been able to experience with my dad actively in partnership with the plants and the compounds is like nothing miraculous and possible for everyone. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you to your papa. Thank you to you for the devotion and all the work that you've done. I I would love for you to speak into ketamine specifically and Hmm the action on the physiology and also the piece around, you know, how the dissociative effect actually supports a deeper level of embodiment. Mm -hmm. So ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. It is one of the top 10 global medications. It's pretty much in every hospital around the planet. It is very, very safe. There's very few contraindicated conditions or medications. There are some, but very few. So people who are being well-served on a psychotropic medication and then not able to participate or engage with another plant or compound can generally experience ketamine safely and in a good way. Ketamine is also, you know, often talked about as a horse tranquilizer. Yes, it's used in veterinary medicine. It's common in pediatrics. And it is many things. It's many, many things. I work with it both in psychedelic dosing and in psycholytic dosing. So that means either in like I'm efforting to trip someone, I'm efforting to create a non-ordinary 
extraordinary experience, a, a round trip kind of mm-hmm. ticket to wherever consciousness goes. Mm-hmm. And then in the psycholytic dosing, it's essentially disarming and softening and allows a person more access to self and essentially a social lubricant of sorts. I'll talk a little bit more about the psychedelic dosing. So it meets each system differently every time. Mm-hmm. Some people experience sci-fi, like wild shapes. Uh, uh, it's been likened to ayahuasca by many people. Some people access repressed memory, have different visuals, have visitors from the past or loved ones. I mean, it, it is any and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ketamine also works to take down the default mode network, which basically is policing our, our, our cognitive processes and allows for conversations to happen in the brain that are not typically available or possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a neuroplastic piece of it where, where new neural networks are, are, are starting to, to develop. I find that like any sort of like timeout or, or shift from our normal ways of thinking and being engaging can present new content. Mm-hmm. Personally, you know, I, I access more emotional content at, as I'm coming out of the experience. Mm-hmm. Some people will start and immediately cry. Mm-hmm. A lot of people experience a lot of embodiment, but even if it is just the timeout, it generally translates into more joy and embodied experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what makes it so good for depression or suicidality. It's like a real proper timeout. And, and in these higher doses, ketamine is also ego dissolving. Mm-hmm. Now it's ego dissolving in such a way that of course there is a, a, you know, a loss of sense of self, but you'll be present to that. And then in, in the lack of self, you sense more of what you're part of. And that is so useful for death and dying and also the death and dying of living, right? Like not literally, but you get like, oh, it's okay to let go. Like I'm part of something that will continue. Yeah. I can rebirth myself. I can actually let this body go. And it's a a very powerful and beautiful tool. It's, I, 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 in many ways work with it because I can, right. I have a clinical license and, and I believe that interruptive experience is necessary for change. Yeah. I hear that. The ultimate pattern interrupt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it really can serve as the ultimate pattern interrupt, the ultimate pause. I love how you shared the ultimate timeout, time out of the normal loops that you find yourself, the time, you know, the time out of the normal loops you find yourself in, the time out to really receive what's true and what's next in the space. Which sidebar, like that's Shabbat. Oh, yeah. Bring it back home, mama. Oh, T-O, put it down. Stop. Yeah. Right? Like just relax already. Yeah. Let go of judgment, relax. Sing, pray, gather with your loved ones. Like get here. It's good here. Get here. It's good here. And let's all just take a moment, you know, to feel that. As we start to close out and wrap up this time with Lauren, which just feels like the very tip of a very deep and large iceberg, you know, just feeling where you are now, your feet on the earth now, 
you know, your breath in your body now, the beauty that your eyes can capture now, you know, what's here now, the presence and truly be grateful for, to bring it back home to the beginning, you know, to thank you as your biggest prayer. And I really believe that we can all find something to say thank you for now, something to say thank you for now, and let that lead to your next thank you. And the one after that, and the one after that, and as Lawrence shared in the beginning, you know, all the thank yous are not just for the things that feel good in the moment. Some of my biggest thank yous are for some of the most challenging things that I've been through in my life because they catalyzed me into my next evolution, into my next level of empowerment, into my next level of self-respect or self-trust. And so what is here for you now to say thank you for now? And there are tools in this life that you can invest in yourself to support yourself with, with support through, you know, working with someone like Lauren or myself, right? Whether it's through plant medicine or synthetics or through a deep embodiment practice in the morning, time with friends, you know, we have a plethora of resources and it's an, a pure prerogative is just to say yes and try things out. Start with the playlist that we're going to have in the show notes, you know, and Lauren, thank you so much for the medicine, your prayer through your language. Your language is a prayer truly and deeply. I'm so grateful for our time together today. So excited for more. I'd love to do some morning practices together. And I'm curious uh, where everyone can find you. If you have any programs or pathways to work deeper with you, I have no doubt that many of the listeners will want to do that. So where can we find you? My, my website is inbodiedlife.com. I have a small group therapy practice. I, I supervise and take care of some really epic clinicians. I also have a training program for clinical providers doctors, therapists, nurses, psychologists, et cetera, at Embodied Life. It's training.embodiedlife.com. You can find me on social media at lauren.taus. I provide a lot of like one minute informational snacks, which I think are yummy and have a lot of fun creating. And yeah, that that's, that's where I am. And it's been such a fun pleasure and honor to be here with you, Zahara. More please. Thank you, please. Yes, please. And I'm sending so much love to anybody and everybody who's listening here. So much love. Mm. Thank you so much. And thank you all for your time, your presence, and your depth of listening. I'm so looking forward to seeing you next time. Thank you all for creating this space to receive this transmission and for having the courage that it takes to live your life beyond the edge. If you feel the call to go deeper with me privately or explore the dojo ecosystem, the best place to start is by visiting zaharazimring.com and taking your free micro dojo. You can also find me on Instagram at Zahara Zimring, and I love hearing from you guys. So feel free to send me messages, make comments, and I will absolutely get back to you. I also would deeply appreciate if this episode or any of these episodes have touched your heart, leave a review as it really supports this show in touching more hearts and more lives all around the world. Thank you for joining and I'll see you next time.